All right, everyone, welcome back to Making the Argument. We've got uh, some special guests on today, but before we get to them, I want to ask a question. Do you guys remember when there was a, a teacher in California, and you probably didn't see this all over the news because it's not the sort of thing that the mainstream media likes to report on, but some people did stick up, Tucker Carlson and others, to report on a story of a school teacher in California who was essentially fired from her job. And the reason why is because the school couldn't, quote, accommodate her religious beliefs. So what exactly was she doing? Was she out there like openly proselytizing kids on the playground or something like that? No, no, no. Um, she, had, she had taken the, the very bold stand of saying, as a, as a teacher that teaches a number of topics, but also teaches gym, I'm not going to allow boys to come in and use the showers when the girls are in there. I'm not going to do that. And, and oh, by the way, if a student's transitioning, I'm not going to deliberately hide that information from parents, right? The, those positions, positions like that were the reason why the school decided that they couldn't, quote, accommodate her religious views and summarily fired her. And so today we're very happy to have with us Jessica Tapia, uh, the teacher who was fired from the school district, along with Mariah Gondero, who is also her attorney, because there is an ongoing lawsuit and and. Thank you both for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Nick. You're such an inspiration and a bold voice. My husband listens to your podcast every single week and comes home and gives me a download. So it's an honor to be on with you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Please tell him thank you. We really appreciate it. Well, well listen, it's an honor to have, have you on, have you both on, uh, because you know th this is one of the things that we, we've, we've talked a lot about, whether it's in our, our short form content or our podcast. And it's the idea of looking around at kind of the chaos that's going on in the world, chaos that's going on in the culture. And so many people ask, like, how, do you, how do you fight back on this? And a lot of times people want to know, how do you fight without sacrificing anything? And the answer is, is you can't. You can't. It requires sacrifice. And you've, you've given up a lot to take a stand for what you believe. And so what, what I'd like, you know, for the audience to kind of understand is, can you run us through just, you know, kind of a, a brief background of, you know, how you got into teaching, why you wanted to specifically teach at this school, because I think that's also an interesting part of the story, um, and and kind of what, what it was like being at this school for six years without any issues before all of a sudden you just, you just apparently became a huge problem for the, the school district. Can you just give us a background on that? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, specifically, I was at Harupa Valley High School for many years. I went there as a student. I was a straight-A student, an athlete. I met my husband there. And really funny story, um, specifically with that, I actually um, joined a Bible study that my swim coach invited me to, a girls' Bible study. And that's when her son um, learned of me, and we started <laughs> dating from there. And so, so much history there at Harupa Valley High School. And when it was time for me to go to college, very much a homebody. So I just went up the street to California Baptist University. Um, I started uh, my degree in kinesiology because I love just health and fitness. That was the one thing I knew I was very passionate about. Um, and then in terms of post-bachelor, post I was looking into becoming an occupational therapist actually got into Loma Linda University for their doctorate program. And then like right at last minute, God really redirected my path. And um, we were to get married right as I was to start the program. And they actually advised that I hold off on the program and enjoy getting married and my honeymoon before starting it. So I was like, 
darn, okay, um, they held my acceptance for a year, but in the meantime, after getting married, I started substitute teaching. That's when the Lord was like, you, I've gifted you with with teaching, with being a teacher. This is what I'm calling you to. So then, of course, next I was like, well, what do I teach? And it made sense to teach physical education and begin coaching. Um, so I went back to CBU for my teaching credential, my master's in education, and um, went right back to the high school that I had graduated from and met my husband at to start teaching. And you were substituting there as well. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I substitute taught for two years while I was getting my teaching credential and my master's. Um, and if if a teacher's listening and they've substitute taught as well, they'll know what I'm saying when I say that substitute teaching is actually a lot harder than becoming an actual teacher and having your own classroom. Um, and so I, I loved substitute teaching. And um, it was actually specifically then when my mom had said something really powerful to me in my substitute days when I would come home with stories. Um, and she actually told me in those days before I had even earned my credential yet, she said, you have such a strong moral compass. You are meant to be a principal. And I just like looked at her like she was crazy. <laughs> and then a few years into teaching, I actually had a, a principal tell me the same thing and still was like, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. I could never see myself doing that. And then a few years later, I'm fired. Wow. So, so in, the, in that six-year period, um, had, you, had you ever had any situations where like, you know, massive disciplinary issues or students complaining about, you know, what a, what again, what an open, you know, religious missionary you were in the classroom or anything like that? Zero. No issues at all. I've always had great reviews from my administrators as they've um, come in and, you know, watched me teach my classes. Um, really great feedback from students and parents themselves. This was um, so out of the blue. And that's what I, when I look at my own story, that's what I find very interesting. And, and I ask myself and I ask, you know, the people I'm sharing with is, why was there never an issue with me, though, until my social media was found, until my personal opinions and beliefs and values were discovered by students? Then all of a sudden, allegations come about. Where were those beforehand? That's a good point because you you taught, um, what were the different grades that you taught? Because you 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 finished out in high school, right? But did you did you start in high school or what was that like? Yeah, that's a really interesting story as well. So for starters, PE jobs are extremely hard to come by. Um, but because I had already had a great reputation with Harupa Unified, it, I was substitute teaching. I was a student there. When I had earned my credential, there, there were no PE positions actually available. But what they did have open um, was a horsemans horsemanship teacher position, which if students um, join the horsemanship class, they would get PE credit for it. So it was like a really unique thing where it made sense for me to teach this class and and get hired on right after getting my, my PE credential. So I went ahead and took that position. I essentially became an ag teacher, um, F, FFA advisor, and an horse, a horseman, horsemanship teacher there at Harupa Valley High School. Um, and the reason why they actually needed that position fill, filled is because and this is so crazy for me to think back to, but those teachers had allegations made against them and were ripped out of their jobs that they had been in for over 20 years. 
there as amazing ag teachers, and they actually went to court and everything too. But so I filled that position in really essentially doing Harupa a huge favor of filling that position. Um, but after going through a year of that, we we were just married. We were wanting to have kids. And I learned that um, being an ag teacher and FFA advisor is like 24-7. I mean, I was, you know, coming back to the farm in the evening and feeding the animals and, you know, a lot of weekend gigs and overnight gigs with the fair I love it. I love what the program does for kids and what what kids learn in FFA and Ag. And I know you are into that as well. Um, but it, I was definitely like, I need to teach PE though. I need to yeah. uh, eventually find a position, you know, with what I went to school for specifically. So um, Harupa Unified School District was like, no problem. We understand it's not a fit. We'll move you right over to a, a PE position we actually have available now at the middle school. So. First year was at Harupa Valley High School in horsemanship. The next four years um, were at the middle school I went to, Maryloma Middle School, and then I moved back to Harupa Valley High School. Um, uh, time is like gone for me now since I've been fired, so it's been almost two years now um, that I was teaching there. But that was where I, I finished up and where was where I was fired. So, gosh, you had, you had to teach in the trenches of middle school. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I always said, like, Lord, I'll become a teacher, but I will not teach middle school. It is such an awkward phase, right, where it's like they're still kind of kids, but they're, like, trying to become teenagers, and it's this really weird, awkward mix, and I just remember that time for myself, and of course, the bulk of my teaching ends up being in middle school, but I fell in love with it. I really did. I loved my time at the middle school. Oh, that that's what you get for for testing God. The moment you tell God, I'd never do that. It's like, oh, okay, well, here you go. <laughs> exactly. So, this, exactly. So, that's, so, you, you, so you've worked, and I, and I would say arguably you worked in one of the most difficult areas, which is middle school, right? Like there, there's, there's just, it, it's just such an, like you said, such an awkward time for kids where they're, where they're trying to figure themselves out and, and whatnot. So you move back over to high school and, and again, there's, there's been, there's been no issues. Uh, there's been no problems. Uh, You'd get along with your fellow teachers, the principal, administrators, parents, students. And then all of a sudden, one day, uh, somebody, I guess, said one of your high school students was uh, apparently perusing social media. And, and what, was, what was the thing that they found that just, just set them off? Yeah, so whoever it was found um, a video specifically I had made in Kohl's. I had walked into Kohl's one day and was just overwhelmed by all of the pride clothing everywhere throughout the store. But that day I learned that they're making this stuff now for toddlers and babies. And I, I really took an issue to that because I'm thinking like these, these precious little kids, like they don't have a developed brain to understand what this, this pride symbol and, and word is that they're, they're being forced to wear and something I was beginning to use my um, platform for was to just communicate with other moms out there um, and let them know, like, hey, you, when we go shop at Kohl's, like, this is what we're supporting. Like, we should really think about voting with our dollar and all that good stuff. And so I had made a video about that, and that's the video they found. They airdropped it to the entire school. So let, so let me get this straight. You you had the you had the audacity uh, on a on a private or, or on a, on a uh, Instagram account or whatever it was, um, where you weren't listed as a teacher. It wasn't as if it was some sort of official account through the school or whatnot to, to express an opinion 
which would have been considered perfectly normal 42 seconds ago within the course of human history. But now all of a sudden it, it was just, it, 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 it led to the school board or not the school board, but the school district directly confronting you over this. So you had a bunch of students that they airdropped it, sent around. And then what, what were you, were, I mean, were you getting a lot of like direct messages? Were you getting a lot of comments? Were, what was, what was going on in that, in that point? Yeah. So what alerted me, um, that it was students is I was receiving comments. I, I saw them start to really dig, you know, scroll way down to some older posts and just start randomly commenting, you know, some pretty awful things on some of my posts, uh, a family picture. Um, so to say, they would say that I shouldn't be a mother with my my beliefs and that I one of my kids are going to be trans and things like that. Yeah. Um, I was, and so I would click like, who is this? This was not typical for me to receive and once I saw, like, these were kids, like, these were students' faces, um, of course, I'm just blocking and deleting. I'm not wanting to, um, you know, correspond with them at all and put my job on the line. Well, after deleting one of their comments, I get a, another one immediately back that says, too late, we've already sent this into the school district. And so I'm just thinking, okay, i I guess I'll see what happens next. I mean, I still am, I'm not seeing anything wrong. Again, this is my my personal page. Um, the next day, though, I'm in fourth period and I have a principal walk in and pull me right away from my class and walk me up to the office into a room where the assistant superintendent was sitting and he said something's been brought to our attention via your social media. We're going to have to place you on paid ad administrative leave while we investigate. And he said, I'm sorry to me about five times and even admitted, I don't typically apologize this many times. And the reason he was doing that is because he knows me. Um, I had a great reputation there. I knew him very well. And he was actually a principal back when I was substitute teaching and becoming a teacher. And he was, you know, very impressed with me as a substitute teacher and requested me back to his school. Um, and now... You know, all of a sudden, it was like the the switch was was being flipped, and so I was placed off on leave. So, was the video they used as justification for putting you on leave? Was was that the video where you were at Kohl's, or did they use a different one? So, so that was kind of like the Kickstarter, and then what what students did, and this is probably what what bothers me the most in terms of just what's happening in the culture right now and in the education system and with our youth. They actually went to my Jesus highlight. They went to my Jesus highlight and they screenshot about, I was looking at them again last night, the exhibits that I was handed of my own screenshots, my own posts. Um, they screenshot about eight different posts of mine in my Jesus highlight. And they are um, posts I've reposted from Allie Beth Stuckey or yeah. um, Dale Partridge, a pastor I love following or, you know, my own personal pastor, or a verse that I just personally felt like posting. And those all became exhibits in, in this case, in, in this um, packet of allegations I was handed in, in my first meeting with the school district. Well, so, so, so let, me, let me see if I understand this correctly. Um, you identify as a Christian, right? Correct. Would you, would you call your Christianity a core component of your identity? 
Absolutely. Oh, oh, okay. So I see. So I see the same people were now putting you on administrative leave because on your private social media page, you shared aspects of what comprises your core identity. Golly gee willikers. I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing. I thought that was supposed to be encouraged and held up. Right, right. But now it's a source of persecution. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Gosh, geez. All right. So, so this happens, they put you on administrative leave, um, which, which that's kind of a, that's kind of a, you know, that's a big deal. Um, especially when, when I, I'm constantly hearing about teacher shortages and the, the problems that we have with trying to keep, you know, good teachers in the classroom. And now all of a sudden a, ba- a bunch of screenshots of you essentially saying, Hey, I, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian on your personal mm-hmm. social media, which has nothing to do with any of your official capacity is now being mm-hmm. used to put you on administrative leave. So, so here's my question. How long are you on administrative leave for? And, and what is going on during that in, in investigation process? Right. So the timing of it was unique. This happened right before summer. Okay. So this happened um, last year in May, at the end of May. So we we're, we're all mentally like getting ready to go off on summer break. So this was two days before summer that I'm placed on leave. So I just kind of go through summer, honestly, thinking like they're going to just let this blow over and I'll I'll be back to start the new school year in August. Well, the end of July rolls around. I've not heard anything. So I reach out and I just say, hey, like, am I good to go to come back to start the new school year? And they reply and say, no, we've been investigating like we said we would. We need you to come in and hear your side of the story. And I'm already thinking, my side of the story, um, that like there's no story here. They they sought me out on social media, found things they didn't like, and have have caused this whole issue over it. Well, and by, sure. and by the way, by the way, it's not like you were doing something on social media that ran contrary to to codes of conduct or standards with respect to being a teacher, right? It's not like you were, I mean, let's face it, hey. we've had some teacher with some some you know, social media accounts that probably did violate some some codes of conduct for teaching in a in a school. But that's not what you yeah. had. You had something just talking about your your religious beliefs. And and now all of a sudden that's being used as justification. And and I can only imagine, I can only imagine that had you had, let's say, a different religious belief that that you I'm sure they would have turned you in and, and caused a, a huge investigation like that. So it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. your side of the story is what? I believe in the First Amendment and I get to I get to share my religion on a social media platform. So what what were they expecting from you? Well, that was the first meeting that I went into and learned um, as a, a packet was placed in front of me with 12 allegations. And it was one of the scariest moments of my life. Like I'm shaking in my chair in the district office with my higher ups, you know, all sitting across the table from me. And I'm told, like, read through these allegations and you're going to respond to us about all of them. And I'm just like, okay. And I have my two union reps next to me and they walk out of the room and give us time to read these allegations. And so I read through these 12 allegations. And weirdly enough, as I start reading them, um, I kind of start to get a a sense of peace that um, helps me calm down a little bit. And it's because I realized exactly what's happening here. Again, students found my personal beliefs and, and values and religion 
via my social media, and they've now used them to craft allegations about how I do my job. Yeah. And some of these were bizarre. I mean, one of them was that I broadcast sermons to my classes. And so I, I responded and I told the district, you know what? This is all I can think of in terms of of this allegation right here. I'm a PE teacher. On Mondays, I call it run day. We go to the track. I give them some sort of running activity. It's the one time I let them listen to music or a podcast of their choosing. I do the same. I don't put in headphones. I have it just loud enough in my pocket as I walk around and and I'm vigilant and, you know, looking over all all the students doing their, their running activity. And so... Yeah, if one of them walked by me and they heard what was, you know, quietly coming from my phone, they might have heard "Hallelujah, Jesus is Lord," something along those lines. Typical, I never like, said Christian music or that. Many teachers, many. If you walk into a classroom today, um, probably at the teacher's desk is quietly playing something of their choosing, which there are thousands of, you know, Christian teachers in this nation that probably have Christian music quietly playing at their desk right now. You know, very normal thing. Um, but again, it was it was clear they they were after me. Um, it was made clear through through these allegations and and how they crafted them using my beliefs that they found. Yeah. No, that's an excellent point. Speaking of excellent points, did you know you can get free bacon with your subscription to Good Ranchers? That's right. And keep in mind, this deal is not on the site. This is an exclusive offer for my listeners. So if you go to GoodRanchers.com, right, you put in promo code Nick and you sign up for one of the subscriptions to the best beef, poultry, pork, or wild-caught seafood you've ever had raised right here in the United States of America. They're going to give you, as a way of demonstrating their thankfulness, a pound and a half of free bacon with every single order. God bless America. They're going to send you a bunch of meat and then they're going to send you the meat that you wrap around all the meat you just got and they're going to give it to you for free. I mean, come on. And you're going to get free shipping. So goodranchers.com, promo code Nick. Again, you just mosey over to the site and look for this deal. You're not going to find it. Promo code Nick. That's how you get your pound and a half of free bacon with every order in your subscription for an entire year. Goodranchers.com, promo code Nick. Go get it right now. So, so basically, they went. They went to again. They went to your your <clears throat> private social media, found stuff, and then tried to create instances where they could make a connection between that and something that happened in the in the classroom. But keeping in mind, you had been teaching at this high school the entire year. Not a single accusation of you doing any of this stuff brought to anybody's attention. Like it was only after somebody got mad about the social media. Yes. And so obviously, too, um, I, I think with that Coles video, they really discovered my stance with, you know, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, where where I stand with that, what my beliefs are around that. And so, again, an, another one of the allegations was that I wasn't respecting students' gender and pronouns. Also super interesting because I had never had a student come to me and say, Mrs. Tapia, I know on the roster, like it says, I'm female and my name is, you know, Rose, but I would now like to be treated as a male and be called Ronnie. Like, never had that happen. So, again, super bizarre. How are we making an allegation uh, from a situation that's that's never happened? You're making that based off what you've discovered about, you know, my views and my opinion around transgenderism. So let me, let me ask you this. So they, they, they bring you in, 
They have you answer the accusations. You know, you've, you've got answers for all of it. And then they give you a series of directives, right? I think that yeah. was the term that was utilized. Give us an idea of some of the directives that a tax-funded, you know, government-operated school is giving to one of its teachers with respect to what they expect of you. Yeah, so I learned of these directives in the second meeting where they let me know that I was barely being allowed to come back to work, that I, I was barely um, being able to keep my job at this point because what I had done was so wrong. Um, so now I was to go back and follow this plan of assistance and directives. Um, so one, I was going to be watched for 45 days, for the next 45 days. And two, I was to follow these, you know, very clear, clean-cut directives. And so the first one was that I was to refer to students by their preferred gender pronoun. And that's when, you know, my, you know, my person, personal convictions began. Because, you know, if we really look into that, that is going along with, with the lies and confusion that I believe come only from the devil, you know, upon these poor children that I'm, I'm literally in the position to, to teach and, and help you know, bring up in, in the best that I can and help them find their purpose and their true identity. Um, and so I was already, you know, really being stirred up around that first directive and it just got worse. They then vocally said that I would have to withhold that information from parents if I ever had a student, you know, come to me and share a new gender or, or pronoun preference. And at that point, I mean, I wasn't talking much, right, in these meetings. I'm just taking it all in. And that was probably one of the first times where I just stopped and I spoke back. And I looked at the assistant superintendent and I said, are you asking me to lie to parents? And he said, yeah, it's for student safety and privacy. Isn't, isn't it amazing? <laughs> isn't it amazing how it's for, quote, student safety and, and, and privacy to withhold information from the parent. We, we had this issue in Virginia and I, and I serve, I currently serve on the education committee. I doubt I will next year because we've, we've had some leadership changes, but um, it, it, it always amazed me that there's this assumption that the parent is the real threat. Right. Right. So, so we just hand our kids over to, to again, a, a government run school. And if mm -hmm. they decide to do something while they're there, if they decide to engage in certain activity while they're there that could be detrimental to them, the parents are apparently to be kept in the dark because it's it's the government-run school system that truly has the children's best interest in mind, not the people that brought them into the world, right? And, and it's just this incredibly dangerous assumption, not to mention the fact, and, and this is what really gets to me about the, the pronoun component, mm -hmm. is I'm not sure logically where that reasoning takes us. It seems very, very open-ended. Well, you, you have to respect their pronouns. Okay, but that's not an accurate reflection of their, the biological reality that we've all understood for the last, you know, whatever, 10,000 plus years of, you know, written, recorded human history. Well, no, but you got to do it now. Why? Well, because they decide to. Okay, well, what other accommodations have to be made as a result? And, and not only that, what if they decide to be something else? What if, what if they're trans species? Am I, am I just supposed to respect that? Or, or is there any point where I, as a rational adult, tell a child that, no, you can't simply claim to be anything that you want and then right. require everyone else to accommodate that delusion? Because at that, at that point, you're not affirming their gender. You're affirming their dysphoria. 
Exactly. And and to require a teacher to do that, you know, it, it's this is the part that I, again I I think sometimes let, let's say somebody's watching this. I mean, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We have a certain worldview with respect to these things. But let's set that aside for a moment and let's say someone is watching this and, and they don't necessarily share our religious beliefs, but they still believe in something like, oh, I don't know, objective reality. Surely they should be able to understand that requiring by law to the threat of losing your job within a, a public school system, unless you reinforce what it, something that is obviously untrue is problematic and can lead to a whole host of second and third order effects that could be damaging, but then to take it the next step and say, okay, we're going to require you to do their pronouns, but you, you know, yeah, you can let the parents know. Now they're telling you, they're not even telling you don't tell the parents what they, correct me if I'm wrong. They told you, if the parents ask you, you're not allowed to tell them. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I, I definitely dove in to make sure I was hearing them clearly. Um, and they said, I would, essentially have to like do my best to redirect them um, to someone else um, or act like I didn't know the information that I did know. And and it was just like, how do I make it clear to you guys if if I have the truth and yeah. if I know the yeah. truth and someone comes asking, I'm going to give it to them, especially again, when this is their child, not mine, not yours, you know, um, and and so I'm just simply being asked to do my job in a manner that doesn't violate my personal beliefs and values around lying, because that is what this all comes down to, lying to students, lying to parents, and even they're asking me to essentially lie to myself for the eight hours a day that I walk into work. And I imagined doing that, and I would have felt like just a zombie and and like I, like my own purpose was was lost in having to conform to the this plan of assistance and directives. Well, let's let's think about because there's another component to this that I, I think is worth mentioning, and the safety of the student. We always hear this a lot, where it's like I can't believe you're going to force a child to to out themselves to their parents before they're ready. And I always point out that well, wait a second. They've outed themselves to the school. They, they actually have an expectation that all of their friends, that their teachers, that the administrators that are all, all going to now start treating them as if they're now the opposite sex or a different sex or whatever it is, right? right. So they're already outed. You're just hiding it from their parents. And the argument is, well, the, the parents might get abusive. Like, well, last time I checked, I know this is true in Virginia. I'm positive it's true in California. Teachers are mandatory reporters. Exactly. So mm -hmm. if you already suspect that there's abuse going on at home, if, if you have reasonable cause to suspect that a parent is abusing their child, you're already required to report that. In this case, what we're talking about is a situation where the school is now going to actively work to keep information from a parent, right? Not, not because the, the child has kept it completely private, right? I, I, have, I have friends that are school counselors. And, and I understand mm -hmm. as much as I, you know, again, I understand a school counselor saying, if I overhear something or if a, if a you know, child says something, am I now required to go and tell the parent if I think there's concern? And I'm like, well, that is a very different scenario than creating an official school policy where you will be required, again, by regulation to reinforce the child's, you know, views of themselves, Right. This is not about, you know, protecting them. This is about pushing an ideology. Now, 
I, I got to ask you this because at this point you've got to be wondering, you know, and, and I and I heard you talk about this before, and I, I'd really like the audience to understand this because I think this part's important, and this is kind of critical to where I want to go next in this in this conversation. You considered just kind of quietly walking away because obviously this is enormous stress on you. It's enormous stress on your your family, your kids. Um, look, I, I know a little something about what it's like for people to come after you publicly, to threaten you online, to do all of those things, to threaten your livelihood. And there, and there is, there's, there's this idea where you're sitting there going, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need mm-hmm. this. You chose to fight it out. Why? Yeah. You know what? I, when I'm in horrible situations, I try to, I try to take it to the very end, like just imagining it, it all playing out and taking it to the very end. And, and really, so I, I just imagined being face to face with God someday because ultimately, yes, I was having my worldly bosses ask me, you know, to do such a thing. Um, but I was reminded that God is my boss first and foremost. And so if, if man is asking me to do something that is, is counter to how God has asked me to live, then, then we have an issue and we have a choice to make. And, and looking back, as, as hard of a decision as it was for me to make, I actually went off on stress leave for three months um, trying to decide what to do next because um, m- my teacher salary was a, a huge part of, of how we lived. I mean, I was really honestly kind of haunted for a couple of months with, with the number of my salary in my head. And I had to really just like break that stronghold and just like ask the Lord to just get that, set that aside and stop looking at this, uh, you know, about money, really. He's taught yeah. me just such yeah. a whole new lesson on on money and provision. And and really, I, again, so many reminders, so many ways that I, I grew closer to the Lord and heard from Him during this time and continue to. But I was reminded that my my district might pay me my paycheck, but He will provide. And at the same time, I wouldn't have experienced his provision unless I I stepped out in faith and really gave him the chance to take care of me, you know, rather than putting my head in the sand and, um, you know, foregoing my beliefs to provide for myself and my and my family. And so, um, you know, ultimately, I just imagined, um, you know, like I said, being face to face with the Lord someday. And having to rehash this this um, really crucial time in my life, and all I knew is that I wanted to say that I I stood for truth and um, I stood for for the Lord um, in my relationship with Him. And so, um, at the end of the three months of stress leave, it was made you know uber clear that I was to simply just call it out, expose the evil that I had come face to face with. Uh, let my district know I'm ready to come back to work now, but there's just a few things I'm not going to be able to comply with. Here they are. Here's the directives. Here's why I spoke from my faith. And then from there, they said, okay, it sounds like you're asking for a religious accommodation. So go ahead and come in. This is now my third meeting with them. And we'll see if and how we can accommodate your religious beliefs. So that brings us to this January um, where I go in for that meeting. And it was an experience of a lifetime um, the the district's lawyer had a few pages of questions for me all about my religion. Um, where do you go to church? How often do you go? What do you read? Who's your pastor? What is it about your 
religion that says you can't do these things we're asking you to do. Um, and then and painted out several different scenarios um, and asking me how I would would respond to these scenarios potentially. And um, it, it really felt like they were trying to get me to change up the answers I had already given them, which was yeah. no, no, yeah. and no. Um, and so it just, just to be clear too, I don't, I don't think I finished the, the three directives that I called out. So the, I said, I, I wouldn't be able to call students by their preferred gender or pronoun. I said, I'll call them by what's on my roster that you give me. The school gives me the roster with the name and gender. I'll go by that. And they were like, that was not okay, which is just mind blowing to me. Um, secondly, was with withholding the information from parents. And third was that from there on out, I was to refrain from speaking to students about God or the Bible, um, which was, of course, another allegation that was made. And I clarified with my school district, I've only talked to students about God or the Bible if they've come to me with a question. And I know my, my you know, legal standing when it comes to bringing my faith into the classroom. I can do it from an educational standpoint, obviously not proselytizing. And so that's what I've done for all the time I've been a teacher. And it's never been an issue. As a matter of fact, I have many students who are Christian, and we talk about that, and it's a way we connect. And, you know, one of them, we learned we go to the same church at, at one point, or one of them wanted to know what worship song was coming from my phone because they loved it when they walked by and heard it. Like, you know, just very general, general things. And um, so I, I also said I wouldn't be able to refrain from speaking to students about God or the Bible if they were coming to me with a question um, and they had made it very clear, no, from here on out, you tell them it's not the time or place. And so I also, so those are the three that I, I spoke out against. Really interesting, and I feel I don't speak on this enough and I really need to um, put this out there more because it was a victory that really took place within this whole thing before it, it had all even played out. Um, but when I spoke out, about the refraining from speaking to students about God or the Bible, they dropped that directive. They dropped that directive completely. It's not a part of my case. Um, but what did come along and fill the spot of that third directive happened at the end of my religious accommodation meeting where they said, is there anything else we need to know about that you can't do in your position because of your faith, because of your, your religion? And I said, yeah, I'm in a, a unique position. I'm a PE teacher. I oversee a female locker room. So I'll just have you know now, I won't be allowing boys into the girls' locker room. And the district's attorney kind of made a face and sat back and said, we have a whole other issue then. You have to if you have a student who's identifying now as a female. You'd have to let them in. You know, it, and. It, this is fascinating. So, uh, again, I, I'm a subcommittee chair of, the, of uh, higher education. And we had Riley Gaines and a number of witnesses come and testify with respect to their experience, both in, in higher education, but also in high school. And one of the things they talked about was the idea of you don't know what it is like to be sitting there as a fully intact male comes in the locker room and undresses in front of you as if this this is just supposed to happen. This is just normal. And it blew my mind when one of my colleagues, who, by the way, has daughters, yep. you know, accused Riley and, and all of these other women that were testifying uh, essentially of being bigots. 
and mm-hmm. and I, I remember I remember stopping the subcommittee and 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 chastising them for you know questioning the motives or intentions of people that were testifying, and that's not how we were going to conduct this subcommittee. But every ounce of me wanted to ask, so you're telling me if your 13-year-old daughter came home from school in tears because a 16-year-old boy had gotten dressed in front of her and exposed himself, your attitude would have been, don't be such a bigot, sweetheart? That would have been your attitude? Because if it is, you're a crap father. And it's just amazing to me that a school district, and and this is is so important, and I got to tell you, this is, Jessica, this is one of the reasons why... I can't tell you how much I admire what you did, what you chose to do, and what your family chose to do. It's because I cannot tell you how many times I will tell people this is going on in public school systems. And I get told that's not happening. That's ridiculous. Nick, that's absurd. Nobody wants that. No, that's not. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And then the moment you expose it, isn't it fascinating? And I'm sure you've experienced a lot of this. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating that the moment you expose it, the same people that were saying that's not happening Instead of yep. coming around and going like, oh my gosh, Jessica, I had no idea. Thank you for letting me know. Thank you for doing a lawsuit where now we can all get this out in, in testimony. Instead of doing that, they immediately say, why are you being so divisive? Exactly. Oh, so let me get this straight. You didn't think the divisive part was a male showering with girls. You thought the divisive part was me proving that it was actually something that they were pushing or willing to do mm-hmm. or willing to allow and not tell you about. Yep. And and the bottom line is that if we don't have people, you know, the it, it goes back to this whole idea that, that cowardice is contagious, but so is courage. And yeah. when someone is willing to step up and start to 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 expose what is actually going on, they find that other people now now can rally around someone. Because that's the thing. Sometimes that's hardly sometimes it is difficult to rally around something or an idea, but it can be it can be a lot more inspiring when you can rally around someone that is actually articulating what's going on. Now yeah. I, I'd like to, I'd like to get Mariah in on this as well. Um, because here's, and, and again, I can understand somebody from the outside saying, okay, well, I, with the religious stuff, look, I don't, I don't want, I don't want teachers discussing religion with my kids or whatnot. You know, it, you, you know, it's sure it's all fine and good. Um, and you guys think it's all fine and good when it's a Christian doing it. What what happens when it's a Wiccan doing it? You know, what what happens when it's a, a different religion that maybe you're not as comfortable with? Like, are they allowed to just talk to my kids? What is what is the distinction that we make here with respect to um, you know, kind of the accusations that were made versus the reality of a teacher just being able to answer a question? Well, I think Jessica Jessica kind of explained that the reality is is she wasn't proselytizing her faith in the classroom. She was never forcing her beliefs on anyone, on any student. Um, she was simply just holding traditional viewpoints on human creation and, you know, in PE class, listening to Christian music. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, she is entitled to her personal beliefs, her religious beliefs, and the reason why the the district retaliated against her was not because she was doing a poor job as a teacher. She had great scores as a teacher, great reviews as a teacher. They retaliated against her because they didn't like her Christian beliefs, which she's entitled to hold, while at the same time, not disciplining, not retaliating against any other teachers who may hold other viewpoints regarding human creation. So ultimately, this case is about religious discrimination, the district not liking um, Jessica's the beliefs that Jessica holds, even though she is 
entitled to those beliefs. And we see that. I work for an organization, advocate, Advocates for Faith and Freedom. And we see this all across the state of California, where public employees, teachers, pastors are specifically being targeted for their Christian beliefs. I believe that there is a war on Christianity, and we are seeing that all across this country. Well, and it's it, it's interesting because every time we bring that up, you know, there, there'll always be somebody in social media or the news. Oh, you poor Christians! Yeah, you're so put upon. It's like, well, wait a second. I, I don't see I don't see teachers that throw up 37 different gender identity flags in their classroom and sit there right there live on like TikTok saying, "Oh yeah, I'd love to discuss you know gender identity with my my." elementary school students, they don't seem to be losing their jobs or getting drug into court. And, and yet, and, and, and you see the same, you see the same thing too with other religious beliefs. When, when they're expressed, there's an incredible degree of tolerance for that. It seems to be specifically directed at Christianity. And, and I think anybody that wants to say that's not really happening, isn't paying attention. Um, well, well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, what is? Can you give us kind of an update? Uh, whatever, whatever you can tell us. What What is the update on the the court case at, at this stage? Yes. So recently, the district actually tried to dismiss Miss Tapia's lawsuit, but the court held that the case was going to go forward because, on the face of the complaint, Miss Tapia clearly states claims for release relief under the First Amendment. This a uh, this is a clear case of religious discrimination. So their efforts to dismiss the case were denied. And so right now we're actually in um, in discovery, which we're actually really looking forward to being able to depose the district mm-hmm. because we know that her, dis- her, her termination had absolutely nothing to do with merit. It simply had to do with the fact that she is a Christian and she holds traditional Christian viewpoints and also just viewpoints regarding objective reality. Like you were saying, even if you're not a Christian, I mean, withholding information from parents, that would actually be her violating parents' parental rights. So it's actually common sense for her to want to adhere to the Constitution and not violate parental rights because parents have the right to be involved in their child's medical decisions. And so that's where we're at. We look very much forward to this, and we ultimately believe we are going to prevail because we all know where the Supreme Court stands on religious freedom. They've been very clear on this throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. They've upheld the First Amendment and the free exercise of religion numerous times. So we believe the Supreme Court is on our side. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, we already know what they're going to do. They're going to say, this has nothing to do with religious belief. You're free to believe whatever you want. It's just that these particular religious beliefs impeded your ability to fulfill uh, contractual obligations as a teacher. And, and, and this is the part where regardless of how this case ends up, and I certainly hope you win it, but regardless of how it earns up, you've won either way. And the reason why I say that is because once and for all, we will have a school district getting up there saying that it is now part of your contractual obligation as a teacher to let boys in the girls' bathroom, to to call them by their preferred pronouns, and and Lord knows what, what next you'll have to do, and to deliberately obfuscate or hide this from parents, to not be allowed to, to tell parents. Like the fact that that will now be a contractual obligation to teach in the state of California is something that people need to understand that this is what's going on. Cause we we've had this, we've talked a lot about this. Um, and again, this is me saying this, not you guys, 
But I, I, I've said repeatedly now at this point, I, I, am, I am so concerned about the culture within our educational system. And, and it really starts with the idea that we need to stop. I'm sorry, they're not public schools. They're government schools. They're government financed. They're government run. They're government owned. They're government administered. They're government schools. And, and we're coming more and more to a situation where the government is behaving in such a hostile fashion toward anybody that doesn't repeat certain ideological lines. And we see this starting in the university and now working its way into the earliest years of our public school system. And it's making it untenable for, for people who, again, just have a, a basic respect for objective reality to be able to conduct themselves in, in a responsible way. And, and I, I, again, I, I hope you win this case. I think you are going to win this case. But if, if nothing else, I am absolutely thrilled that you had the courage to go through all of this in, in, order, in order to expose just what exactly is the criteria to be a teacher in California. Because like I said, my, the most frustrating thing for me is I, I, will, I will post something out on Twitter on what's going on in our legislative session out here in Virginia. And I will be told, I, you're a liar and you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm the chairman of the subcommittee and I just heard testimony from 47 people. What do you mean I don't know what I'm talking about? Right. And, and again, if we don't have more people within the system who, again, you didn't ask for this fight. You just didn't shy away from it when it happened. Right. And, and I can't thank you enough for that. And, and it goes back to something that, it goes back to something that you said, right? In the, you know, when we were talking about this, if you don't live your life more concerned about what God says when you arrive than what man says when you're gone, you're going to mm-hmm. really regret a lot of the decisions you make. And I, again, I just, I thank you for being, for having the right mindset when you went into this. Um, and, and being willing to stand because God knows we need a whole lot more of it if, if we have any hope uh, of saving our culture and our country at this point. Can, can you let people know? There's a couple of things I, I'd, I'd really like people to be able to know because I want them to be able to follow what's going on. Social media is a great way to do that, to stay updated. Tell us where to find you on, on the first question is tell us where to find you on social media. Where, where's that? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Um, my name is I'm Jessica Tapia. Try to keep it simple. I am, and then my name spelled out Jessica Tapia. I'm also on Facebook, Jessica Tapia, and I recently started a Twitter because um, something's happening over on Instagram, and um, I believe they're literally taking my followers and and hiding a lot of my stuff. So I'm trying to kind of create some sort of backup something over on Twitter. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Real Jess Tapia. So those are my my socials, and I keep keep everyone updated there. I've I've found such a community of support, um, really across the nation. I've even gotten messages from other countries. It's been really, really, really incredible to see the support on the other side, which I had no idea would be there. Um, but it's definitely been just a sweet affirmation uh, from the Lord that I have, you know stood in the truth and that the majority of people stand with me. Um, what I always say the issue is, is that is true. The majority do do stand with me, stand with truth and stand with science and stand with our Judeo-Christian values. The issue is we can't be silent anymore because how are we different from the rest of the beliefs out there and the rest of the non-believers out there if if we are just Christians internally and not willing to live out 
our beliefs and live out our values. And and speaking of um, cowardism, that's actually, I love that you brought that up because it's one of the major things that helped me make my ultimate decision in this to speak out. I actually reflected back to a sermon I heard um, during COVID. Uh, We had just changed churches because we saw some true colors of the church we were at, and we, we moved to a church that kept its doors open all through COVID here in SoCal. And one of the first sermons that I walked in and heard from um, Pastor Jack Hibbs was that being a coward is a sin. And I'm sitting here like, I've been a Christian all my life, and I've never had a pastor tell me that. Yeah. And then I go through this, this situation um, of, you know, my, my job being on the line as a teacher, and, and that sermon just came back to me. And I knew in that moment, um, this is typically where many teachers would cower to save their job. Do not do that. You know now that being a coward is a sin, um, you know, so, so don't waver in your faith. And so that was that was really helpful for me in, in the decision that I made. That's outstanding. Second question I have is where can people, I mean, obviously, look, you're going to be fighting lawsuits. And, and again, these, these things never happen quickly. They take time. Um, where, where can people, you know, support you? Where can people provide financial assistance? Is there anything like that that people can contribute to or assist to, to, to help you guys and your family get through this? Sure. Um, we have two. So I'll share mine. Um, my best friend made me a give, send, go. Um, gosh, I, so many blessings have come out of that. It actually paid my mortgage for several months of this year because, again, that was what my teacher salary did for us, um, was cover our mortgage. And I, the second I lost my job, I said, we're, lo- we're losing this house. I don't see how we will be in this house come December. And here we are in December, and we are still somehow in our home. Um, and that's greatly because of donations I've received to my Give, Send, Go that my my best friend made for me. And you would just go to that website and type in my name. Um, but I'd also love for Mariah to share about supporting advocates because they are representing me um, cost-free. I would certainly not be able to afford a lawyer at this point of losing my teacher salary. And so I've been so incredibly blessed by advocates. So where can they donate? Yes. So um, like Jessica said, I'm part of an organization, nonprofit, um, religious-based organization, Advocates for Faith and Freedom. You can go to our website at faith-freedom.com and support us there. And if you specifically want to support Jessica's case, you can just write that in the notes section when you when you go to donate. You can also follow us on social media as well, um, Advocates for Faith. And we are always looking for you know, support and also prayer because we believe ultimately we don't fight against, you know, flesh and blood. We we fought, we fight against evil principalities, and there's definitely an evil principality over public education. Well, listen, we're going to make sure that we put those links uh, in here for for our audience to see. Uh, we'll also have some other content that we put out uh, for this as well. We'll be sure to make sure that we uh, we we tag you on that as well because we we want to be able to get your story out there, and also show people you know how they can help. And so, um, look for our audience. I, I got to tell you, there is there is probably nothing so worthless in this world as a silent majority. Uh, especially at a time when when people desperately need people to stand up and actually fight for what they believe in and be willing to sacrifice for what they believe in. One one of the things that frustrates me so much when I hear people talking about this is like, oh no, I'm I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. Like, what do you mean you're ready to fight? 
Show me your scars. Because the fight didn't start yesterday. It's been going on for a while. And for some people, like Jessica, it means a lot from their family. It means that they could potentially lose their home to fight this battle, but they chose to fight it because it was worth it. It would have been easy. It would have been easy because they do it on purpose. They make it easy to give in. That's, that's one of the most important things for people to understand is they always think that this is just stick. It's just threats, right? Threats, threats. No, no, no. Oh, there's always a carrot. They always try to make it easy to just give in. And when someone's willing to stand up, the least we can do is come along and support them in their fight and support the organizations that are helping them in that fight. So Jessica, Mariah, thank you very much. Thank you for what you've gone through. Thank you for the sacrifices that you've made. Thank you for being willing to fight. Um, Again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share this with our audience, and uh, we will definitely be following up. I'm going to remind our audience this was pre-recorded, so the events that you're seeing right now, the the updates that you just got, right? This is you know you need to go back in, you need to check up regularly, check up on this case, track it, right? Let let them know that you have their back and that you're paying attention, and let the people who put her in this situation know that you're paying attention. Once again, I want to thank all of you uh, for watching, all of you for your support. Please reach out. Go follow Jessica on social media. Uh, consider contributing in order to help them out and help their case out and help their family out. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next episode.